O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Let us bow our hearts and heads in sign of preparation for worship. Let us pray. We bow our hearts and heads before you, God Almighty. In submission to your will, in submission to your providence, Lord, be thankful that we are here on this your day. We're thankful, Lord, that we can sing praises before you, that we can hear your word, that we have one another, that you've blessed us financially as a church. We ask, God, that we would continue to bless your name, to be thankful for the blessings and the prosperity you've given our family, you've given our church, and you've given our state, Lord. And in spite of the many wicked and terrible things that have been going on, God, we have uh, so much to be grateful for, Lord. I mean, we meditate upon those when we feel distraught or discouraged, God, because you have given us many things. We pray for our health in particular, God, that we would continue to take care of ourselves, have access and ability to take care of ourselves, uh, to get uh, the means that we need to preserve our health, Lord, when we are sick, to have access to the doctors and the like, God. We continue to have good exercise and good diet as we're able, Lord. It can be a hard struggle, God, because our bodies change over time. We get used to old patterns of doing things, and we find out we have to get a new pattern in our life. So help us, God, to persevere and do what we can to take care of the body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray again in particular, Lord, for COVID, for the truth to win out, for the politicization, both from both parties, God, to... Uh, to be drowned out by the realization of where we are with respect to COVID and what can be done about it, God above. And we pray that we continue to have access. And you've answered our prayer as we see that there are N95s now on Made in America, Honeywell Made in America, God, now on Amazon for those in need, God. We pray that that become more readily available, although it took almost a year. We're thankful, God, that we have something, especially for those who are close to us, who are high risk and are a great danger to this and other sicknesses, God, that perhaps we never thought about before, Lord, because we were, uh, we we're so healthy. We never considered that other there are other high-risk groups that have always been there even before COVID. So, Lord, we're thankful for these abilities to protect them. We pray that this will continue in spite of uh, the state and our federal level, Lord, not being very helpful in that regard to giving us access to things to protect our loved ones. And so, Lord, we pray that this thing would be dealt with quickly. We can go back to normal God and also protect our loved ones. We pray, God, in particular for our social and political situation we find ourselves in, both locally and state and national level, God, for the wickedness coming out of Hollywood and on TV and on the Internet, God, the excuses made for such wickedness that undermines the family, that hurts uh, the children uh, and the parents, God and sets us up for false expectations. We ask, God, that we continue to have justice in the land and, our uh, again, our local and state-level, Lord, and our cities and our magistrates and our lawyers, God, and our judges and the police and, and whatnot, whether they are saved or not, God, that they would take the justice and the law seriously, that is, the godly laws, Lord, and to continue to protect us. And we, Lord, pray for wisdom for them to do the right thing and not to be cowards, we pray, Lord, for our wisdom for us, God, we who vote and have our limited influence in these matters, Lord, to understand and give us discernment as best we can, Lord, in a very chaotic environment of knowledge in which the old ways of just giving some facts are now heavily politicized. And even back then, at least, there could be debates on whether all the facts are there, but now we wonder if they're even telling us the facts are even real anymore. There's so much lies going on. 
We pray and ask God that we would persevere in spite of that, Lord, to always trust in you and to do the best we can in faith in you, knowing whatever our final decision is and how limited our knowledge is, God, uh, the outcome is in your hands, Lord, and you will cover our sins. Our Lord and Savior, we pray for our witness, our witness to our neighbors, our witness, Lord, and our businesses and our clubs and uh, our family, Lord, and elsewhere, both personally and as families, God, and as a church. And as churches and denominations, Lord, with respect to this world, a witness that is, we pray, defined objectively by natural law and the word of God and not by the subjective whims of society, which tells us, oh, you're icky, we don't like what you did, you're not very nice. And unfortunately, Lord, we feel that pressure and we somehow think our witness is damaged when it's not. It simply isn't. It's just people wishing for us to shut up and not satisfied with what we have, Lord. May our witness be defined by your word and by the circumstances we find ourselves in and by our ability to do what we can, God, and that the truth would win out, that they would understand what we believe and what we will do, Lord, and uh, and how we follow you to the ends of the earth. We pray, God, that our witness will wake people up to the reality of Christ Jesus, of their need of a Savior, Lord, to repent and to come unto you. Our Lord and Savior, be with us, precious Spirit, this evening, that we would listen attentively to your word and to be encouraged thereby. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Wait till I do a Psalm 119. (laughs) The sermon that never ended. Let us listen attentively to the Word of God. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried, out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Smoke went out from his nostrils and devoured and devouring fire from his mouth, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet, and he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew a Upon the wings of the wind, he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies from the brightness before him. His thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire he sent out with his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath of your nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place, he delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I will not wickedly depart from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. 
I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hand in his sight. With the merciful, you will show mercy, yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. With the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp, for the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He sets me in high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and have overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lifted me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he has given to his king, and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Let us pray. With these encouraging words, God, may we follow the psalmist and thank you, Lord. Praise you for your providentially answered prayers given to us. So we see in the middle of the psalm, especially, Lord, where he describes his prowess as a fighter. We know, Lord, that was given to him through providence, not through a miracle. He didn't wake up one day and was able to take out a lion and a bear. But rather, God, he grew strong, he grew wily and shrewd, and he was able to conquer his enemies, God, because you blessed him through ordinary providence. Lord God above, we are thankful for how you've worked in our lives, Lord, through ordinary things of life and answered our prayers. And may this, again, encourage us to continue to pray before you, Lord, to know that you indeed hear us, rise up for us in our cause, and answer our prayers. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Well, that's a lot. A lot to go over. Uh, it's all together. It's one psalm. I thought about doing two, uh, but it all plays off each other. He talks about praying to God. He talks about God hearing his prayer. He talks about God answering his prayer. And he talks about praising God for answering his prayer, the prayer that he gave him. And the bulk of it, as I pointed out, was the providential answer from God himself. Psalm 18, as you read through here, and maybe think about it this week, is a wonderful and fascinating psalm. It has many colorful and poignant turns of phrases and imagery. 
It has a spectrum of human reactions. Faith, confidence, joy, and thanksgiving. But it's fundamentally a psalm of prayer coupled with praise at the end, the beginning of prayer and the end of praise. He prays to God, laying out why he loves the Lord before describing briefly why he needs the Lord, the enemies that surround him. Then David describes in high poetic form the response of God to his prayer, that God is listening. He's rousing himself up as an avenger for his people. God hears David. God hears us. And then David describes what that hearing of God means. It means he answers the prayer. He delivers them, and that's the largest section, verses 16 to 45. Again, with many wonderful imageries there and poetic language, as well as some messianic vision of the future, right? Where he thanks the Lord that a people he has never known who do not know him will bow before him. That never happened to David. His enemies were crushed. They never submitted to him, right? The Jews bowed, yes. The people of God listened to him. That's us, the Gentiles. So let us go through all four sections here to be encouraged to bring our prayers to our God and Master, who does indeed answer them. If now, now, but eventually, especially when Christ Jesus returns. Praying to the Lord, verses 1 through 6. He says, I will love you, Lord, O my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. I love you, God. I bless your name, O Most High, the covenant-keeping Lord, all capital L-O-R-D, because you are my strength. You are my foundation that is a rock that does not move, although everything around me seems to shake and shakes me emotionally and spiritually. My fortress and my deliverer. Fortress, of course, is another way of saying stronghold or rock, a place of security and protection that does not shake or move. Deliverer, another translation for that is Savior. God is our Savior, God is our Deliverer. My God, my strength, in whom I will trust. God is our strong right arm. The imagery of right arm, as we know, is an imagery of strength and power and a position as well. On the right hand is be the hand of favor, but a strong arm is the best favored arm. He has all the might and power. He is our strength. Without him, as David says elsewhere in Psalm 18, he could not have won. He could not be a great warrior. It's because he trusts in him. This is the basis for his prayer to God, that he is worthy of trust because he is a rock, he is a fortress, he does not lie, he is a deliverer, he is strong, he is a shield, he is his horn. That is a military image of power and might and of protection. These are reasons to trust in him. Our faith is not in a pie-in-the-sky feel-goodism an abstract God, but based upon the facts of the case that God has been good to us, God is good to us, God is almighty, we can see it in creation and around us, and how he has indeed helped us in our time of need. This is why he can come before God and pray to him and no one else. I will call upon the Lord, verse 3, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. It is to him that I go. He has the power, he has the might. If we do not have an omnipotent God, why pray to him? He can do nothing, because man's free will can stop you and stop him. That is not the case at all. This is why he can go before him, because God says, pray to me, and I will answer, I am your strength, I am your might and power, and I will accomplish my holy will for your good. I don't think I need to go into prayer, insofar as we don't always get our prayers answered the way we want them to, but they shall be answered. And this is why he can pray to God, because he knows they will be answered. David didn't win every victory, don't forget that. They didn't win every victory in Israel. They weren't always successful in every battle. And yet, it was still part of God's plan. He calls out, 
to the Lord. He gives some reasons here. I will call upon Him who is worthy to be praised, verse 3, to be saved from my enemies. I have enemies. I have people who hate me, who want to kill me. We're talking about having political enemies today. David had political enemies, but when they were political enemies back then, they were also mortal enemies. <laughs> they would literally stab you to death. In the public, out in the open. It wasn't just all, we talk about backstabbing and kickbacks and backroom deals and things like that. No, this is outright war. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I am surrounded by people who wish to kill me with a sword, with a spear, with a chariot, with a horse to trample me to death. It's in his distress he cries out to God. It's a distress, and yet it's a hope. Right? He believes that God will hear him even as he is distressed. Verse 6, he cries out, In my distress I call upon the Lord in this battle, in this war. It's okay to be in distress, but we should not only stay in distress, but always call upon our God. In the circumstances we see here, if this is true for David, it's true for us. If God will protect him, if God is there to answer his prayer, if God is there to be his rock and his fortress in times of war, he is literally surrounded by death. The pangs of death surround me. Why? He's in the middle of a battlefield, and people are dying left and right around him. Right there before his eyes, he hears a scream. He smells blood in the air. I hear the death of a horse is a terrible sound. I've never heard it. But I've heard that's the case. So they shoot, you know, they shoot them. They're in pain. They can never heal again. To get them out of their misery. And that's what, that's what David heard. All the animals of war, the horses in particular, are dying as well around him. The sorrows of Sheol, that is the grave, surround me. There are literally people at my feet dead. The snares of death confronted me, right? My enemy has a plan to sneak up on me in the middle of a battle and stab me in the back. He's describing warfare, brothers and sisters. This psalm is almost verbatim in 1 Samuel 22. At the end of Paul's, at the end of David's life. And in 1 Samuel 121, we read at the end of that chapter how David is fighting, but he grows weary. Why? Because he's an old man. And his vanguard comes up and protects him and slays the enemy. And then in the next chapter, we have this psalm. Almost word for word. So we know he's describing warfare. Not spiritual warfare, although it applies to spiritual warfare. That is, the devil wishes to kill us, the world wishes to undermine us and ensnare us, and our flesh wishes to kill us as well. But he's talking about actual fleshly warfare. Combat. The Lord hears. We pray, David prays to the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, because he's got no one else to go to. The Lord hears him, verses 6, 6b to 15. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled, and the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry. Verse 7. These verses here, 6 to 15, are not focused on God delivering but God rising up and answering, God hearing and waking himself up, as it were, saying, my people are in distress. I'm going to stretch out my arms, right, and flex myself. This is God flexing in the best sense of the word. I'm coming. I'm coming for you, my people, to protect you. That's what we see. All this imagery here 
from the temple itself, of course. The temple is a, a symbol of God's presence back then. It is God, as it says, his coals were kindled, the devouring fire from his mouth and coals were kindled by it because he was angry, verse 7. It's a righteous indignation from God, not angry with David, obviously, but with the enemies who would come after his chosen ones because we are the apple of God's eye, even today. And he is angry with the wicked who wish to destroy the church across the world and in America. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. The earth shook. The foundations trembled. We know the imagery here is not real in the sense that David didn't go to war and all of a sudden the earth shook when he was fighting the Philistines uh, or the heavens bowed down and darkness came upon them and all the other imagery we have here of arrows flying around and coals and hailstorm, hailstones and coals of fire. You don't read that description in First and Second Samuel of David's combats. There were miracles to be sure, but this is strong and heavenly poetic language to show that God has the power. In his anger, smoke comes out. That's how powerful it is. It's like smoke. The heavens will bow before him. Darkness itself cannot stop him. He, he wraps it around himself. He controls darkness. It is not greater than him. He rides upon the winds because the winds are under his control. From the brightness before him, the thick clouds pass and there's hailstone and fire showing Wrath and judgment, yes, but also power and might from the judge of the universe. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered His voice. And again, more hailstones, verse 13, and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered the foe. That's the closest we get to deliverance in these verses. Lightning, and He vanquished them. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. You cannot do that. You don't have the power to do that. God does. This is the God who is arousing himself in righteous indignation and zeal for his people, for you, even today, brothers and sisters. And although the heavens are not literally rent apart, the earth is not shaking, you can be sure God is angry and God has the power to stop the foes of the church across the world and in America. The hatred, I hope you've been paying attention, the hatred is real. And it came out even more in the last year or so against Christians and against the church. And this reminds us, because David is speaking and inspired by the Spirit, that the power of God is here. It can tremble and shake the world. It can bring lightning from above and hailstorm because he controls all things. He's arousing himself, getting up off his throne, as it were, ready to deliver his people from their enemies. And that's what we get in verse 3. The largest section, verses 16, uh, verse, section 3, verses 16 to 48. The Lord delivers. The Lord hears. He hears me. I cry out to him. He hears my voice. And so he's waking up, as it were, getting out of his chair and out of his anger. And everything moves around because he's so powerful. The whole creation groans when he moves for his people. And it's verse 16 that in following that he specifies that God is actually delivering. It doesn't just hear. Yeah, I hear you. I'm commensurate with you. You know, I, I can appreciate your misery or something like that. And that's how some people approach God in their prayers. I want someone to hear me talk. And there's some truth to that. You do need to talk. You do need to get it off your chest, as it were. We have friends for that, and God will hear you. But God does more than hear. He delivers. That's what we see in verses 16 and following. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me. The Lord was my support. He also brought me out of the broad place. Verse 19. He delivered me because He delights in me. See that? Now it's God answering. 
and coming and bringing deliverance and salvation to David. Deliverance is from God and no one else. That's the theme we see here. He, 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 he. It is God and all of God. The foundation of his prayer. That's why he can pray to him. And God hears. And it does more than hear. He responds and answers our prayers. He does something about it. And David was victorious. We know the many battles that David won. Saul won a lot. He won his thousands. But David had his ten thousands. <laughs> Actual physical slaying of people who hate God was because God was working through David to do that. To be his avenger, as it were. And he was successful. And although we don't have a promise like that in physical combat, I don't want to go to physical combat. I want to avoid it as best I can. But certainly in our lives we fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We want to slay them. The devil would never convert. The world will never change as a place of sin until God, what, consumes it with fire, as Second Peter tells us, right? The whole earth is going to be consumed with fire. It's the only way to deliver it. And your flesh has got to be killed. You've got to mortify it. It's combat, brothers and sisters. It's a battle. It's a struggle. Day in and day out. And God says, I am here with you. And he is slaying the devil. He is slaying the world. He is slaying your flesh. And it hurts, I know. There's a number of things we wish we could do and get away with. You know, they, the writers did it all the time, right? <laughs> they did it for months on end. They got away with it. Why can't we? Our flesh says. God says, no, this is part of the fight. You may not be David slaying physical people, but you are slaying sin nevertheless. It's an important lesson to learn that God is delivering us from our sin. Praise be to God. And what's interesting here is we get to this next section, which is Hard for us to wrap our heads around, as you can imagine. He also brought me up into a broad place, verse 19. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And you're like, well, sure, because David was a man after God's own heart. Really? Do, do you remember David's life? Do we have to... Well, I'm going to go through First Samuel. <laughs> We're going to learn about David's life. You're going to say, that's a man after God's own heart? Really? That's when you realize it's grace, isn't it? It's mercy. It's compassion from God. Not because David strictly deserved it at all. On those grounds alone, God should never delight in him. But he does, and he doesn't just delight in David. What about the other Israelites? Psalm 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Psalm 51, 19, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifice of righteousness. With burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings, they shall call, they shall offer bowls on your altar. God delights in any who have given their hearts. We know in Psalm 51 where he gives his heart anew to God. Take not your spirit from me. And God says, and then I will be pleased with your sacrifices and your burnt offerings, with your worship before me. Yes, I know you're not perfect. Yes, I know you sin. But you are mine and I am yours. You are my son and you are my daughter. Do you not have special preferential treatment for your children? If you don't, there's a problem. You think of them first. You feed them first. You cut them slack, don't you? That's what God does. That's what it means to be adopted and not a foreigner. You treat foreigners, and you better treat a foreigner different than your family. Not absolutely different. You know, just randomly just kill them or something like that. That's true. But in everyday life, the stranger's not the first thing on your mind. I hope not. It's your family. And those close to you. 
And as a circle gets wider, the less you think about them. That's how life is, because you only have so many thought processing cycles you can do in any given moment of any day. you got things to do. God, that's our relationship with Him. We're on His mind. We're close to Him. We are not foreigners or strangers. Yea, rather, we are His children. And so He delights in us. He retains not His anger forever, Micah 7, 8, because He delights in mercy. Mercy for His people. And He continues on. The Lord rewarded me, verse 20, according to my righteousness. Ah, and here we are again. Whoa, 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 what's going on here, David? Your righteousness, what are you talking about, man? kind of sins that you did? Well, then we need to reconsider how we speak. This is how the Bible speaks. It speaks differently, of course. That is, it means something different than what we often hear when we say, well, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. Yeah. <laughs> did pretty good today, didn't I? That's not what he's talking about. It's true in two senses. With respect to him being justified, David believed, and therefore sin was not imputed to him. Romans 4 unpacks that from the Psalms, right? So he was justified. The devil cannot take away David, nor your warrant for heaven. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, brothers and sisters. God, your Father. And with respect to specific sins. Don't forget it with respect to specific sins. Are you a compulsive murderer? How about, are you an idolater? Do you worship another god? If you do, you're not a Christian. You're apostate. Now, you might be confused about God. You might have the wrong view of worship about God. That's true. Those are negations. I mean, you actually sit there and worship another god. So you're innocent of that sin, aren't you? And you're innocent of many other sins, if you think about it. Things that you're not doing that you're told not to do. Now, you know, of course, may be quick to say, hey, you know, there are things I should be doing, I'm not doing. That may be the case. But I'm reminding you, that's what David's saying here, there are actual things that David didn't do. He didn't sin in some cases. That's not a sin you can hold to his account or to your account. Perhaps they were accusing him, because he does not get specific, of starting the war. Because this is a war context, right? He's fighting and fighting and fighting. The Philistines are like, oh, you're just a warmonger. You keep causing problems. You keep attacking us. And David's like, I'm innocent. I'm just doing my job. God knows that, and God's going to answer and vindicate me, right? Isn't that what you're doing as a mother, as a father, taking care of your family, and the world says, what's your problem? Let your kids do whatever they want? Why don't you, why, why don't you love your children and let them do wicked things? I'm innocent, God. I'm not going to do that. And so God, when he says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness, cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. He gives, interestingly here, mostly a negative list. He gives evidence. He says, he did not act wickedly, verse 21. He did not avoid God's statutes, verse 22. He kept clear of iniquity, verse 23. He didn't start the wars. He's just finishing them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity. I didn't hang out with the idolaters. I didn't purposely try to cause problems and sin more. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. So with respect to sanctification, not justification, that is your ongoing, everyday sanctification of obedience before God. You have a relative righteousness. It grows, it ebbs, and flows. 
We know this because you don't want to pick the most immature, inconsistent Christian to be a leader in the church, do you? You pick what? The more godly. We have the word, you're more godly than me. That, what does that mean? It means something, doesn't it? That's what David is saying here. Relative, of course, to other Christians and things in life, he is more godly, although he still has sin. That's it. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. David's not saying, look how good I am. I can go to heaven because I'm so good. He's already going to heaven, and God is blessing him even more by the small efforts of obedience that he has. God rewards them. You see that? It's grace rewarding more grace. And he's thankful to the Lord. We have to remember that again in the society that wishes to bear down upon our conscience and say, look how mean and nasty you are. You guys, you know, one of the examples I gave in Wednesday night study, if you're really pro-life, right, you'd feed the poor people all their life and give them housing and everything else. Dude, you're murdering people. I'm not. (laughs) Lord, I'm innocent. Don't play games with me. And then he gives a providential answer to prayer. That is a description of that. Verse 28. Uh, with your mercy, you will show yourself merciful. Uh, verse 25, 26, 27. Uh, here, I don't want to skip that. Uh, this is, again, a poetic way of describing God works with the humble. He humbles you. God is humble to his people who are humbled by his grace. And God is against or works against the proud who are not humbled by his grace. That's what he's saying. Uh, to uh, the devious, you don't want to use the word devious for God, so you translate it shrewd. God will deal shrewdly with them. He will give them their just reward. This is what he's saying here. God does deal mercifully with us, and we deal mercifully with one another because God's grace is working in us. God is humble to his people who are already humbled by his grace. Then the answer, verse 28, For you will light my lamp, God illuminates me, he gives me knowledge and understanding. The Lord will light my darkness. Uh, Again, he's not talking immediately about spiritual enlightenment, I don't believe, but combat. And we see that here. I can run against a troop. I can leap over a wall. I can shoot the bronze bow. I can slay my enemies. I won't slip and fall. It's a picture of combat. Physical combat. For who is God except the Lord? Who is my rock except our God? Again, with respect to actually fighting and killing people who are trying to kill the people of God. And we read in verse 34, a key verse, verse 34, He teaches my hands to make war. That is, providentially, in how God directs all things and all the natural causes, He so directed the things of this world that David grew up a strong, young, smart, shrewd man who could take on lions and bears. Right? It was not a miracle. It was simply, he knew what he was doing. He knew what to use and where to hit the animal or where to hit the giant and slay him. Many of his adventures in combat were plain old fighting. No miracle. God providentially trained him. The knowledge that you have for your job, the knowledge that you have as a mother or father for your children, came to you not in the middle of the night from an angel. That's a miracle, right? But again, just through ordinary things, what your parents taught you, what you learned in school, what you learned through ordinary life from your own stupid mistakes. Right? That's what we see here, a description of David saying, I could fight, I could run over a troop, I could jump over a troop, I could jump over a wall, I can destroy my enemies. I am strong. 
I can use the bow and take him out from a distance. My feet are swift like a deer. I'm nimble. I can control myself in the battlefield. You have given me a shield. I can protect myself. You have enlarged my path, verse 36, under me. And I'm not slipping on blood and gore in the middle of combat. That's what he's saying. That's why I call it providentially, providentially answered prayer. God taught him in the sense that he teaches all of us, right, through ordinary providence, not through miracle. And that's important because that's the answers to our prayers. Over and over again, we are here in a building because God answered our prayer. We wanted a place to worship. We didn't want to be shut down like many churches were for a long time. And it happened. It took some work. We had to talk and things like that, and they finally, their heart, were, their heart was melted. Praise be to God. You have a house. We're looking for a car. We have to use ordinary means to be smart about it, to look at our resources. We've got good advice from you all. We want to use it. Lord, I thank you. We take this psalm and say, God, you have trained me. You have illuminated my mind, right? I don't see darkness anymore. You have enlarged my path under me so that I am firm in my decision for what house to buy, what job to get, and what car to purchase. That's what I'm saying. Now, those are spiritual activities insofar as we're told to be wise with our money and supposed to be for the Lord, right? So it's a moral activity. This is moral combat in that sense. Not just talking about personal sins you struggle with, but just making wise decisions in life with respect to God's law is part of this warfare as well. To have discernment and understanding. And God has given him the victory. Verses 37 and following, I have pursued my enemies and I have overtaken them. They don't turn back. I have wounded them. You have army and strength for battle. I have subdued them. I have, you've given me their necks and they are broken down. They cry out and I beat them as fine dust. And this imagery here, again, poetic imagery, because obviously he didn't literally beat them into fine dust, but that's how thoroughly he conquered them. Saul had his thousand and David had his ten thousand. And God delivered him through mundane providence of fighting, fighting, fighting. And it's important, again, as I mentioned before, for the church today in America, not to expect a miracle. That is, you sit down on your spiritual couch and say, come on, God, give me a miracle. No, we have to go out there and fight to protect our family, to protect our church. And by fighting, I, of course, mean metaphorically. The voting, to be intelligent about it, what we did with what we believe, We added to it to protect our daughters, right? That's part of the warfare. You see that? Nothing fancy. It's being smart. It's being wise as serpents and know cause and effect and know how our enemy thinks and how to do the end run around them instead of always playing the patsy. And then we read of the messianic psalm part here, verses 43 and following. So you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations, the goyim. I have all, I have a people, uh, a people I have not known shall serve me. I mean, clearly he's saying something else is going on here. This is not David. This is in the future. As soon as they hear me, they obey me. How can foreigners and strangers obey a Jewish king? Unless their hearts be changed and moved. That's us today, brothers and sisters. This is a messianic psalm in that respect, especially those verses. Because the evidence is there. It points to something that didn't happen back then. We know the office of king was a type that is a picture of the future work of Christ. David was a type of the future future work of Christ. You've maybe the head of the nations. And they hear me, they obey. That's what happened to us. The foreigners submit and the foreigners fade away. We're no longer foreigners, are we? We are his people. and The sheep of his pasture. Praise be to God. 
we are fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 18. You see that? Isn't that amazing? And then lastly, at the fourth point, we pray to God. He hears. He rouses himself. He answers. He delivers. And then lastly, we praise God in response. We say, thank you, Lord. What a wonderful, wonderful God that you are. We praise him because he reminds us of what he is. The Lord lives. What to be my rock, my foundation. I shall not move. Let my God of my salvation be exalted. There's a a fun song along those lines I, I knew growing up. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. And we will say that same thing when Christ Jesus returns and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess and every neck shall be bowed if they have not bowed already before Jesus Christ. You have lifted me up above those who rise and you have delivered me from the violent man. So I give praise. I give thanks. The victory we have in our life is first and foremost, as we know, spiritual Christ on the cross who saved our soul and continues to save us and purify us. But that ultimately comes out into the physical with a new heaven, a new earth, and a new body. And there'll be no more warfare and no more bloody battles. As we read here in Psalm 18, praise be to God. Ultimately, the victory we have over sin and grace will flood over into this world of ours to a new heaven and a new earth. Let us meditate upon God's special providence that has trained us in our jobs, in our vocations, in our particular positions and abilities in our church here at Providence and given us blessings upon blessings and thanksgiving here that we can read to ourselves and to one another throughout the years. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he he gives his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his seed forevermore. Amen and amen. Let us pray. We praise you, God, for this psalm, this wonderful psalm, God, that reminds us of the gritty reality of David, but also, Lord, an encouragement for us that you've protected him and you are protecting us, God. We can come before you when you answer our prayers, not always immediately or how we wish, Lord, but it all will be answered. That is the great prayer of a new heaven and new earth when Christ Jesus returns. Help us, Lord, meantime, to continue to persevere, to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, to be wise as serpents, Lord, and to use ordinary providence, as you know, as we know that you use ordinary providence to answer our prayers. Praise be to your name. Amen and amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.